Well, church, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter as we continue through this book for a message entitled, Our Awesome Inheritance. Our awesome inheritance. If you remember last week, we saw that God uses broken people. So we tracked Peter's life, the one who wrote 1 Peter. God uses broken people. We saw Peter mess up, mess up, and then he did something awesome. He proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. Things were great, and then he messed up and messed up and messed up, and then he was broken. He was broken, and our God lovingly came to him and restored Peter. And now Peter is writing this book after God said, feed my sheep. So after Peter messed up so much, God put him back on his mission, and now he's, re- he's writing the book of First Peter, First Peter. But if you remember, um, while I was explaining all those different texts, you might have heard different names for Peter. You might have heard different names for Peter. But first, let's read verses one through two, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the names of Peter. But let's pray first. Lord, you are so good to us. We just ask that you would help us to understand your word and that we would be able to apply it to our lives. Let it change us. Let it mold us. Help us to be the kids that you've called us to be. Bless us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we talk about, those are the words of a broken man. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. But first, a little bit about Peter's name. Let me read this to you. This is taken from... A commentary says this, quote, first, or, first Peter begins by using his name in the most common New Testament form. His name in Hebrew was probably Simeon, the Greek equivalent of which was Simon. He also had the Aramaic nickname of Cephas, and Peter is the Greek translation of Cephas or rock. So you got Simeon, Simon, Peter, Cephas, all the same person, just different languages. So a little bit of story about my name. My name. My real name is Russell Coons. But my mom gave me the nickname Rusty. My kids call me Dad. And Coach Stuby, my high school football coach, gave me the nickname Coon Pup. And my older brother was called Coon Dog, but later I graduated to the name Coon Dog. Jerry, a family friend and farmer in Oregon, calls me Rustoleum, while Mr. Colopet calls me Rowdy. And whenever someone forgets my name, they always call me the exact same wrong name, which is Randy. <laughs> but if you like, you can call me El Hombre Barbudo, which is the bearded man in Spanish. So like Simeon, Simon, Cephas, Peter, I also have many names, as probably do you. So when you're following along the text, you're like, wait, what is this? Simon, Peter, there's all these... 
It's the same person. It's the same person. And that's who God used to write this chat, this text. Let's continue to break down. Look at verse 1. The elect. The elect. That's like a pretty fancy word. What that means is chosen. So if you think about that, wait, the elect or the chosen, the chosen, exiles, exiles. What that is, is a sojourner. So someone who's going to stay somewhere temporarily, someone who's going to stay somewhere temporarily. So Chris was a sojourner in Liberia, Africa. He was there temporarily. And Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia are in modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey. So if you kind of break it down, let me read it to you with these other explained terms. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the chosen sojourners of the scattering abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which are modern-day Turkey. So... God is using Peter to pen this pen to send to Christians that have been scattered in these different areas. So that's our context as we dive in to 1 Peter. Look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. If you are an underliner, that would be a great one to underline. His great mercy. His compassion. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, saint, if you are here today and you're saying, Rusty, hey, I need some encouragement. I need you to get my eyes off of the here and now, and I want you to paint a picture of my inheritance, what's coming. Man, you're going to leave here feeling good because I'm going to tell you about the inheritance of the Christian. I'm going to tell you about the inheritance of the Christian. But first, look at that first part, according to his great mercy. Our God is a merciful, compassionate God. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Saints, here's the thing. Our God is rich in mercy, which is he's compassionate. He knows what's going on in our lives. He is compassionate towards us. He loves us. We're his creation. God is rich in mercy. Look at verse 4. An inheritance that is imperishable. What that means is indestructible. The inheritance that I'm going to talk about is indestructible. It's undefiled, which means untainted. And it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Here's our inheritance. Our inheritance is this. Eternal life, which is being with God forever. Now, here's the thing. The reality is this, is that every human being that is on the planet is going to spend eternity somewhere eternal life is having communion with god forever 
death, eternal death, is having separation from God forever. Now, we, as human beings, are all born with separation between us and God. It's part of the fall. We inherited this separation. That's our inheritance. So look to your mom and dad and say thank you. No, that's what you inherited. It's been passed down from generation to generation. Inheritance, which is a separation between you and God. Now, Jesus Christ comes and says, I'm here to give you an inheritance, which is eternal life, which is a relationship with God forever. So, Saint, that is what you have inherited. That's what you have inherited. And it's eternal. It's eternal. I'm going to talk about an inheritance that Jesus talked about in Matthew 21. Listen to about how Jesus explains this inheritance in this story. Jesus says in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 39, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent another servant, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Verse 37, finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. It's the same word in 1 Peter, have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So in this parable, Jesus is explaining a tragic situation, but what I want us to focus on is their inheritance in that situation, in that story. They said, let's steal the inheritance. Let's steal the gift of God. Now, in our text, it's saying this, is that our inheritance is protected. It's imperishable. God's got it. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Let me tell you a story. Our inheritance is not like a Honda Civic. I was at work one day back in California, and I had a Honda Civic. I worked at a church, and it was a normal weekday. It was really nice, and I came out, and I was ready to head to lunch. I walked out. I parked my car in two different situations depending on the weather. I walked out, and I was walking towards my car, and I thought, dude, where's my car? My car wasn't there. And there was a police officer, and he was parked a little bit down the way. And you know how they sometimes they park under these, um, these uh, shades, these canopies? And he was just doing some paperwork, and I walked up, and I said, hey, I think someone stole my car. He said, well, find out. Well, sure enough, someone stole my car. So he said, let me have your cell phone, and I'll go search for your car. So I thought, okay. So he went and searched for my car. My buddy took me out to lunch to console me because my car had just been stolen. It had been stolen. Well, sure enough, I got a call 
uh, about an hour and a half later and says, hey, we found your car. So I went, found my car. There was the perpetrator in the back of this patrol car. And I went to my car, and you know what? My car felt defiled. Now, our inheritance is undefiled, and it can't be stolen. It can't be taken from us. But I felt defiled. I got in my car, and I sat down like, ah. There was an iced tea in my cup holder that the thief had purchased from the restaurant right around the corner, probably from my change in the change drawer. I will tell you, I felt defiled. But our inheritance, the Bible says this, is undefiled, untainted. It can't be taken from us, and it's in heaven. It can't be stolen. And so your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And here's my question. Are you willing to say hallelujah about that? Now, here's the thing. Some of us don't know what the word hallelujah means. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. It means praise the Lord. I'm going to read to you a couple verses where the word hallelujah is in the text. And my question to you is, are you willing to say hallelujah about these truths? Are you willing to say praise the Lord about these truths? Revelation 19.1, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Is that worth saying hallelujah about? Revelation 19.6 says, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. Can I get a hallelujah about that? Can I get a hallelujah that God has given us an inheritance? I want you to say hallelujah. I want you to be with me in this. Now, I understand, you know, it's kind of awkward. Okay, so if I just come back here... And, and, and I sit myself, there's a section right here. We need to invite some more people. Look at all this right here. So if I was sitting right here, I know it's awkward to say hallelujah. Because you're like, man, I'm, I don't, hallelujah, you know. But I would tell you, you go stand up there. And when someone says hallelujah, which is praise the Lord to a truth, you think, hey, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. Because here's the thing, is that we want to leave here changed. We want these truths to penetrate us. We want to get excited about our awesome inheritance. So let me ask you a question. Can I get a hallelujah that your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you? That's what I'm talking about. What we say is praise the Lord. We say hallelujah. We say praise the Lord because we know what we've been saved from. I mean, I'll tell you what, the people that have sinned the most, they're like, hallelujah, I'm in. Praise God, because we know what we've been saved from. Man, we as Christians of all people should say, man, praise God, grace and mercy to you, because I know I received grace and mercy. And the people that say grace and mercy, hallelujah, are usually broken people. It's the Peters of the world. 
It's those that have been shown that they're weak and that they're broken and that we deny Christ with our action. We try to protect Jesus and we cut off someone's ear. Have you ever done that? You're trying to defend Christ and you're in a debate with someone and you just shred that person. You cut them. You won the battle, but you lost the war. I've done that. I've done that. I've been Peter and I've cut people with my words because I thought I was defending Christ, but I didn't have love for the person. So it's when we become broken, we say, man, praise God and hallelujah. Praise his name. He saved me. He set me apart by his grace and his mercy. I have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's in heaven for me. No matter what I'm going through, I can say, hallelujah. I know how it all ends. I have inherited eternal life. Look at verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Can you say that about yourself? Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, you say, man, that, that, that represents me. I just walk around and I go into to the bank and they think, man, this guy always comes in and he's got this inexpressible joy. What's going on with this guy? Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things you have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, Spirit set from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Isn't this amazing? I mean, if you are going through a hard time as what we're going to see, that's the backdrop of 1 Peter. Trials, hard times. And here's Peter. He's just saying this. Let me set things straight. First, we've been saved from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been set apart, and we have an inheritance that nobody can steal. See, here's the second story about my Honda. They got it back to me. Well, sometime later, Gracie and I and the kids, we like to go garage sailing. So we were back in Bakersfield, California, backed out of our driveway. We went garage sailing. We came back, and Gracie said, where's your car? I said, I don't know. I went out and... My car was not there. Well, sure enough, we thought, was the car there when we left in the morning? 
Come to find out, it wasn't there when we backed out. We backed out where the car usually is, and there was no car there. We went around, we garage sale, we came back. And my had a cop neighbor, he was a couple doors down, and I said, can you look at your cameras to see when my car was stolen? So he got on his camera, and it was like 3 a.m. in the morning. These two guys are just walking down our street. And then like six minutes later, they're like, driving away with my car. It was stolen. Your inheritance cannot be stolen. It can't be taken from you. And guess what? You're guarded by God. So I had a police officer. He called me. He said, hey, Rusty, good news. We found your engine. And then later, I got a thing in the mail that said, we found the rest of your car. It had been separated, stolen. I felt defiled. Let's look at the details of the salvation in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. I'm going to read a quote by a theologian that it just explains it so well. The salvation of your souls. Quote, salvation means rescue or deliverance. And here it denotes the full, final, eternal life God has not yet consummated. The New Testament implicitly reveals a threefold chronology for salvation. Okay, so we're going to look at three parts of the word salvation. The past aspect of salvation is justification. It comes when one believes in Christ and is delivered from the penalty of sin. The present aspect of salvation is sanctification. Believers are continually being delivered from the power of sin. Salvation thus is a past occurrence with continuing results in the present. Third, salvation has a future aspect, glorification. Whenever a believer dies, God completely and finally delivers him from the presence of sin and instantly bring him into his eternal inheritance in his heavenly presence. Paul eloquently expressed to Timothy his personal confidence in the certainty of of his future inheritance. Quote, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? So here's the thing is that when we talk about our salvation, it's first our justification. What that means is just if I have never sinned because Jesus Christ paid for our sins. Everything that we've ever done, he's paid for it. So that's done. Now we stand in justification. We're justified before God. We could stand before God justified because our sin has been paid. But there's an ongoing work of salvation, which is our sanctification. It's our purifying. Have you ever noticed when a new Christian receives justification, they're saved... They still have some habits that are wrong. Well, we as other Christians that might be farther, farther along down the sanctification trail, we want to be gracious with those people. So let me ask you this. 
How do you react when you find a new Christian is still in sin? Are you like, oh man, you know what? I just want to do everything I can to explain to them the scripture because I don't think that they understand that that is something that the Lord says that we can no longer do. That's sin. I hope that's your heart. Because when you get saved, when you're justified, now you're going to be sanctified, which is God is purifying our lives. And then the third is glorification, which is God will bring all Christians to be with him forever. Now, we don't have this yet. So in a sense, we are, we've experienced salvation. We've been justified. We're being sanctified, but we haven't been glorified. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So saying, is this how we react when we go through life and things don't go our way? Do we think, you know what, it's okay because my citizenship is in heaven. It's okay. My citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. So if our citizenship is in heaven and we're supposed to call, we're supposed to think about our inheritance, does that affect our lives? That's the question. Has this changed you? Has this broken you? Because the way that it changes people is it breaks them. It shows them they can't do it. They can't do it. They can't get rid of, of addictions. They don't have the power over sin. And that's why the Bible says in order to come to Christ, we have to repent, which is, Lord, I'm sorry. Change me. And the Bible says that if we do that, he justifies us. He justifies us. And then he says, listen, now what you're going to do is you're not going to forsake the gathering of the brethren. You're going to come together and you're going to learn my word and it's going to sanctify you. It's going to purify you. And then there's a future inheritance, which is going to be your glorification. I mean, Saint, I will tell you, we, we've got an amazing inheritance that's coming. So I hope that you leave here thinking, hey, I do not care what's going on in my life. In regards to, I'm not going to let my focus be on the here and the now. My treasures are in heaven. I'm going to lay up my, my focus and everything I do is going to be on the kingdom. And I'm going to think about my inheritance. And here's the thing is I'm going to go around hoping people that will come and they'll want to be justified by God. I'm going to share with him God's word. I hope that you're prompted to do that. And I hope that you're full of grace and you're full of mercy when someone is not on the same level as you in your sanctification process. 
So here's a, an example. Right when you get saved, if you get put on the, the sanctification trail, and here you are, you're walking, and hopefully you're progressing this way. Some of us are going slower. Some of us are going faster. But when you're on this trail of sanctification, and you're looking more and more and more like Christ, when you see someone else on that same trail, what you should do is lovingly help them along not turn around and start chucking stones at them. You know, like, you know throwing things at them. Man, what's up? Well, get, get, it, get your act together. Now listen, that's not what broken people do. Broken people say, hey, my grace and my mercy, how can I help you along this, this trail? How can I bear your burden? That's what broken people do. Those are the people that God uses. Now, if you're like, okay, Rusty, I want in. I want in. Here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says, believe in Christ. Man, you don't have to come and shake my hand. And say, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, all I am is just telling you, hey, this is what the Bible says. And it says this, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what you do, you call on God's name. Lord, save me. I don't know what that preacher said, a lot of it, but all I do know is I want Jesus. And that's where you start. You say, Lord, I need you. I want you. Come into my life. Take over. Boom justified and now get ready for sanctification which is your life gets changed and god starts coming through your life and saying hey see this sin over here hey we're gonna get this one out oh i didn't know that was sin yeah it's sin okay it's gone and then everything that god reveals in your life needs to be purified you say lord purify me and guess what through the whole process you think man i can't wait for glorification. I cannot wait for my inheritance to be with God forever. Let's pray. Father, you're so gracious and you're so merciful. You, you didn't keep this a secret. You didn't keep our inheritance a secret. You didn't keep being with you a secret. You revealed it and you revealed it to us and we thank you for that. You revealed it to people all over the world. We thank you for telling us about our inheritance. We thank you for showing us that it's undestructible, imperishable, untainted in heaven for us. We thank you that you said that we are guarded by you. What can man do unto me? We thank you that you love us and that you're compassionate towards us and you know our frailties. We thank you that you are our protector. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would reveal to them that you are God, you are truth. You are the way and that you want a relationship and you're holding out your hand. Lord, I pray that people would respond to you, that would pray to receive you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, for all of us broken people, that you would continue to help us on our way of sanctification. 
Lord, that we would be gracious and merciful towards each other. Lord, you say we're called to be loving towards one another. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up dissension. Lord, help us to have soft words. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.